Thanks, Wes. Wes does a ton. He always has. He's just been a loyal, faithful, full faithful man. I really appreciate him. He does crack me up once in a while, though, when he was up here. He was talking about giving with a happy heart. Did you see that? He's like, give with a happy heart. <laughs> happy. <laughs> but the point was still taken, brother. All right. So how are you doing this weekend? You're here, so that's shocking. Because <laughs> many of you, many of you are not here, and so this is typical, you know, the the beginning of the vacation holiday and uh, the beginning of summer, I guess, not officially, but kind of. We kick this off, so many of our folks are are enjoying that time right now, probably all over California and different places, and so we hope that they uh, come back safe. But I'm glad to see you guys here, and hopefully, all of you will come out to the barbecue. It looks like we're going to have good weather for that. So we are in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. So if you're not there, turn there in your Bibles. And this is actually the second part, two-part message we started last week. It's going to be a three-part message now called The Wrath of God Revealed. We'll conclude it next week and get out of this section in Romans and move into chapter 2. So we're moving along at a very rapid pace in Romans here. There's only 16 chapters, so we should be through it in no time. Page 939 in those blue Bibles, if you don't have a Bible with you, we would invite you to open up the Word of God so you can see it for yourself, what it says. So here's a a question, a question for you to consider very seriously. I I don't want you to answer it out loud either. I want you to just think about it. Are people who believe that homosexuality is a sin, that it is immoral, that it is neither good or normal or natural. Are those people on the wrong side of history? Are they wrong about their beliefs concerning homosexuality? Should they be lumped together with the people in our country who in the past supported racial segregation? Should they be lumped together? Let me show you a a slide here. This is the kind of, I call it propaganda, that is all over the place, and you'll hear about it more and more, and You probably already have, but these are just two different slides of how the homosexual agenda is portraying those who believe that homosexuality is a sin. So in this first picture, you see both of these shots in this first picture, probably somewhere from the 50s or 60s in our country. You see a bunch of white folk in their cars vote against integration. Now, if you're not familiar with this because you're too young, you should, you should know about it. It was a time in our country where there was separation of the races. It was even legalized. They didn't want blacks and whites integrating. But here's a bunch of white folk, right, celebrating that. Vote against integration. They were against the idea that blacks and whites could live together in harmony or that they could be married or that they could go to school together or that they could eat in the same restaurant, right? Pretty diabolical. Pretty disgusting, pretty vile, pretty filthy. Racism. 
And a good portion of our country was in support of that, of racial separation, of segregation. Now, thanks be to God that that eventually was overturned, at least by the law. Of course, there's still racist in this country. There's still people who hold those evil kind of things in their heart. But what you'll see them doing is they're saying the wrong side of history, watch yourself, or you may just end up there. And this is a slide that was that is put forth against those who believe that homosexuality is a sin and that a man and a man shouldn't get married. A woman and a woman shouldn't be allowed to be married or recognized as an official marriage. You see it also over here. Imagine how stupid you are going to look in 40 years. And so they, they contrast the crowd outside, a bunch of white folk again, because that's basically what existed for the most part in the United States 50, 60 years ago, out there rallying against racial segregation, comparing that to the same folks who rally against the homosexual agenda and stand for traditional marriage. And they basically are saying they're the same people. You see that? Is that true? Is that true? If you believe homosexuality is a sin, are you basically just as rotten as the racist? Because that is what the homosexual agenda is saying. That's what they're preaching. What makes this entire issue, you can drop that slide, more confusing now, even more confusing, is it was not too long ago in our country that if you identified as a Christian... I don't have to even go back that far. Five years, maybe ten years at max. If you identified as a Christian back then, you also believed that homosexuality was immoral. Just like lying or stealing or any other sin, according to the Bible. But today, 2013, there are some people who claim to be Christians and at the same time support or approve of homosexuality. They even suggest that the Bible never condemns it. That's what they say. Right? Because how could, how could they say they're a Christian, say they accept the Bible, and then be for homosexuality? Well, according to them, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. And sometimes these so-called Christians even join in the verbal attacks of others who have said that anyone who does condemn homosexuality is simply ignorant, okay? Just a bunch of ignorant folks or unloving or even hateful. That's a nice word to be put against a Christian community. We're hateful, unloving, ignorant, or we're just a bunch of bigots or homophobes. That's what's wrong with us. We just haven't got with the times. We haven't progressed enough in our thinking. We haven't evolved enough. Beloved, I am of the opinion that our country, America, is quickly becoming more and more intolerant of the true biblical teachings of Christianity. And so I would add to that, your relationship then with Jesus Christ, assuming you have one, and your relationship with his church will necessarily become more and more important. 
more needful as the persecution against Christians intensifies in this land. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul wrote, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, beloved, that's scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This morning we're going to look at a portion of God's breathed scriptures together. And this portion of God's breathed scriptures primarily address or specifically address the subject of homosexuality. Today we're going to focus in on verses 26 through 27 of Romans 1. However, I want to read, as I have the last several weeks, the entire section here for context, verses 18 through 32. But before I do, let me quickly review a few things that we have covered as we've been working our way through this section of Romans. So if you're new with us, this will be completely new. If you've been with us, this will be review. The wrath of God, the wrath of God, which is what we've been talking about because it's brought up in verse 18, the first part of this section, first verse of this section, the wrath of God or his holy hostility and judgment against sin. That's what it is, his holy hostility and judgment against sin. That's what the wrath of God is. It is being revealed against the sin of rejecting him and choosing instead to worship idols, idols, beloved, or gods or a god of one's own making or imagination. So like you'll hear this when in the debates that go back and forth between those who say they believe in God and yet embrace homosexuality and those who say they believe in God and don't embrace homosexuality as normal and natural and something that we should uh, accept. You'll hear this phrase, your God and my God. Your God and my God. My God embraces homosexuality. Your God is a hateful God because he doesn't embrace the loving relationships of one man to another man or one woman to another woman. When you hear that kind of phraseology, just know your God, my God, one's an idol and one's the true God. That's what's going on. That's idolatry. People have made up their own gods. They don't like the God of the Bible. They don't accept the God of the Bible. So in their sin, they create their own God. Their God might have similarities to the God of the Bible. They like God is love. So they'll emphasize that. But they forget all the other things that are true about God. Like he is wrathful. He is just. He is righteous. He is holy. He is vengeful. He is jealous. That is the true God. The only God. A question that is raised in light of that, that God has revealed his wrath, or it is being revealed, is how is God's wrath being revealed? How is it being made known to us? How do we know this? The answer, it is is revealed by God, and this is all by way of review, 
giving people up or over, giving people up or over to their sinful hearts, which ultimately results in a society characterized by immorality. Did you hear what I just said? As God gives people up over to their sinful hearts, you end up with a society characterized by immorality, known for its immorality. Beloved, I don't know if you follow world news, but the rest of the world, whenever they speak about the West, one of the things that often comes up in their conversations is our immorality. Right? They don't talk about the freedoms. I love our freedoms. What they talk about is they don't want the West's view of morality to infiltrate their societies. They consider us the most immoral nation on the planet. And I have a hard time disagreeing with them. By the way, immorality, immorality of a society was certainly true for the Gentile world when Paul wrote Romans in the first century. Okay? That was what they were known for. They were known for their debauchery, for their sinful lifestyles, to their giving of themselves in all kinds of disgusting and filthy and vile ways to sin, including sexual immorality of all sorts, beloved, of all sorts. So when Paul wrote this letter, I would argue that the condition, the moral condition of the world at that time was even worse than where we are today. Even worse. But we're making progress toward going back to the first century Rome. But another question we might ask when we're looking at all this is how exactly does God giving people up or over to their sinful hearts, how does that serve as a judgment against their sin of of them rejecting him? How does that work? How does that condemn them? Well, we talked about it because sinning brings with it devastating consequences. Devastating consequences. So when humanity is left unrestrained by God, when God gives them over to their sinfulness, to indulge in their sin, it ultimately leads to their ruin or downfall. It ultimately leads there. However, beloved, there is always hope. There is always hope. As long as the church is still here, the true church, there is always hope that people will repent, truly believe the gospel, and be saved. And so that is why we must keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't give up. We can't back down. We can't take a break. We shouldn't rest. We got to keep, no matter how dark it gets, we got to keep preaching the good news of Jesus Christ because through the proclamation of the gospel, God is still pleased to save people out of their sin and to rescue them. Now, maybe this culture, this society is, maybe it won't come back. I don't know. But I'm not here to save society. I'm here to tell people about Jesus Christ. And as more people hear the good news and respond appropriately through faith and repentance, society will be changed. But the people have to be changed first. One writer says this concerning what sin does. You know, because people say, how does sin, how does sin ruin us? I mean, that seems like a foolish question, right? It really does. I mean, you personally probably know how sin ruins people. It's displayed on our television screens every day and every night. How sin, what God calls wrong, pursuing those things, 
destroys people, destroys societies, destroys families. But this writer said this in regard to sin and what it does when people engage in it. I like it. Just listen to it because it's so true. Quote, sin, it robs him of his dignity, of a person who engages in it. It takes away their value, their dignity, their worth. It steals his peace. And in place, it gives him fear and torment and guilt. It causes trembling. It convulses the conscience. And some people kill themselves to find comfort from the torment. Beloved, some people, they don't, they don't go that far, but they kill themselves on the installment plan by dosing themselves, medicating themselves with drugs and alcohol to the point where they can't feel anything anymore. Some of those do end up eventually taking their own lives. Sin destroys relationships. It rots a good name. It wipes out a marriage. It utterly devastates a family. It debauches a city and a nation. Oh yeah, sin's good. I just find it interesting Las Vegas is referred to as what? It is one of the most popular destination points around here. I mean, I I know you can go there. I've been there with friends, and you have to be careful. But boy, you have to be careful. And you can enjoy some of the things. But primarily, beloved, the attraction there for most is the engagement of sin. And we have a a city that advertises that with no shame. According to God's word, the sin and wickedness, beloved, that permeates our society and and many, many societies could be attributed to God's wrath at work as he gives idolaters up or over to follow after their sinful and depraved hearts. I have heard people say that someday, someday God is going to judge America. You ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said that yourself. But in consideration of Romans 1, you could draw the conclusion that his wrath has already been poured out against this nation's idolatry. Against them turning away from the true God and creating their own. A God that is comfortable with sinful lifestyles. And that wrath is being revealed even now. Even now. We are witnesses to it. All right. We're at the text now. Romans chapter 1. Look at the word of God with me if you would. Beginning in verse 18. Paul writes these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24. 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This morning, inside of your bulletins, you'll see this outline on the left side. We're going to continue to consider, we started this last week, how God's wrath is revealed against idolatry so that we might better understand humanity's depravity, their moral corruption, our moral corruption that we're born with, and the reason for the moral condition of our world, which really is God's wrath being poured out on it for their rejection of him. And we did that by, or we're going to do that by looking at three different points. God gave them up to One, impurity. We looked at that last week. Two, dishonorable passions. We're going to look at that this week. And third, he gave them up or over to a debased mind. We're going to look at that next week. You ready? Good. One one is ready. The rest of you will be ready, I'm sure, soon. We looked at the first point, verses 24 and 25, as I said last week. Paul tells us there that God gave them up. Them, the them being a reference to the Gentile world. So we've talked about this already, but I'm just reviewing. The Gentile world who had rejected God and worshipped idols instead. So because of God's wrath against their idolatry, he gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. This is all right out of the text. Which in the context of that section... Impurity is best understood as sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Doing something in a sexual nature that God says is wrong. For clarity, sexual immorality, according to what the word of God says, would include any sexual relations that are outside the relationship of one married man or one man and one woman who are married. Anything outside of that, according to the word of God, according to God, who authored the word of God, is sexual immorality, is wrong, is sin. Now, when we get to verses 26 and 27, Paul gives specific examples of sexual immorality, specific examples now. He's no longer just speaking generally. He gives specific examples which are also the result of God giving idolaters up or over to their corrupted hearts that they might fulfill their sinful lust and suffer the awful consequences of rebelling against God. That brings us to the second point in the outline. God gave them up 
to dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions. Look back at the text, verse 26. Paul says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That phrase, for this reason, at the beginning of verse 26, it simply refers back to what Paul has already stated in this section, about, and that section being 18 to 32. It's, it's simply just restating, for this reason, the fact that people suppress the truth about God. They rejected him, and then they attempted to rid themselves of any knowledge of the true God. Okay, so he has made himself plain. Through his creation. Instead of, because of sin, because of rebellion, instead of receiving that, responding to that, people don't want that, so they reject that, and they try to get get rid of it entirely by replacing it, because they have a desire to worship, because God created them to worship, but they don't want to worship the creator, so they choose to create a God, they become their own creator, They create a God according to their own minds and their own imagination and they worship that God or in many cases, God's plural and they serve and worship them. Because of that, because of that, that for this reason, because of that, God gave them over, Paul says, he gave them over to dishonorable passions, which Paul further defines for us in the rest of verse 26 and verse 27 that we just read. The Greek word translated dishonorable, dishonorable there in your ESV, could also be translated shameful. Shameful. If you have a New American Standard Bible, that's your trans... I'm sorry, degrading in the New American Standard Bible. Degrading. So we have dishonorable. It could also be translated degrading in the New American Standard Bible. That's the word they choose, the English word they choose to translate that Greek word. In the NIV, you'll have the word shameful. Okay? In other words, these passions Paul refers to should not be, hear me, respected or admired or celebrated. You hear what I'm saying? They should not be. Because they lack any honor, according to the word of God, these passions. They are utterly disgraceful and morally unacceptable. They should be thought of as degrading and humiliating. Humiliating, beloved. People in the military can be given a a dishonorable discharge. Is that right? They can be given, those of you who have military experience, they know you can be given a dishonorable discharge only when their conduct is found to be extremely shameful and disgraceful. That's when it rises to the level of dishonorable. So what are these dishonorable passions exactly? What are they? The text tells us they are the shameful and degrading passions that lead to sexual relations with the same gender. Women with women or men with men. Beloved, it is so clear. Paul is undoubtedly speaking here 
in this passage about homosexuality. And in case that word gets thrown around so much, we don't even really know what that means anymore, but homo is same. Same. So the idea is sex with the same gender. Heterosexual, hetero, is opposite. Okay? Paul is speaking here about homosexuality. Sex with the same gender. Look back at the text now for a second. I want to highlight a couple of things. Romans 1, 26 or 27. For their women exchanged, gave up, and replaced it with something else. Natural relations. For those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27. And the men... Likewise, just like the women, gave up, exchanged natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, one man to another. Paul plainly says that these sexual relations are not natural, are not natural, but contrary to nature. They are against Nature. That is, they go against the Creator's very purpose. Who's the Creator, beloved? God. What God? There's only one. He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures. That's the one we're talking about when we speak of the Creator, at least here. Or we speak about God. We're always referring back to the God of the Scriptures. Otherwise, I would not know God. But He has revealed Himself to me through the Scriptures, and by the way, through a person, Jesus Christ. That's how I know who God is. And by the way, Jesus Christ referred back to the scriptures and said they spoke about him. That's how we know who God is. I don't have a right to get to make God up in my own mind. God has revealed himself to us, and I can either accept who he is or I can reject who he is, which happens Very frequently, people reject that. But back to this. This goes against the Creator's very purpose and design for humanity. Let me say it like this. It is clear, abundantly clear, from nature and Scripture that God never intended, and nor does He now. He didn't change His mind on this. He never intended for men to be with men or women to be with women sexually. He never did. You will not find that in the scriptures. You'll find the opposite. It is a perversion, beloved, of God's purposes in making humanity. It is in the first book of the Bible, okay? The very first book of the 66 books. In the first two chapters of that book, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we are told that in the beginning, God made a male And a male? He made a male and a female. We know them by the names of Adam and Eve. Two real historical people. The first two people on this planet. Because God put them there. And he brought them together as a couple that they might, guess what? Unite sexually to carry out God's mandate for them to multiply and fill the earth. 
God's plan, God's design. And he uniquely designed two different genders. Uniquely. One gender perfectly for the opposite gender. Not one gender for the same gender. That was never his design. That was never his intention. That was not his purpose. One writer says this. This is actually uh, the teaching pastor at Full Hill Bible Church who sent, who sent me out and for a result of that Full Hill Bible Church. So in this text, here's a quote. I really like this text. I think it gets at the heart of this. He says this. Homosexuality rejects the created order and forms its own distorted picture of reality in which the gender differences arising from creation, not by chance, not by accident, but by design, not evolution, creation. It is a rejection of that. It's saying they are not foundational and essential, but can be bypassed or overlooked. That's what homosexuality is. This is the essence of rebellion. It is a redefinition of God's design for human sexuality. God says, this is how it is to be. And sinful man says, no. You cannot tell me what to do. You cannot tell me how to use my body. As I said last week, you cannot tell me who I can have sex with. I will rebel against you and your plan for humanity. Depravity of man. Depravity of man. One writer adds this. A simple look at one's sexual apparatus should convince anyone that practices of this kind are not normal. I think you can figure that out. But in Paul's day, Paul is the apostle who wrote, authored, the book of Romans through the Holy Spirit who inspired him so that it was the word of God, the very word of God. In Paul's day, and again, rapidly becoming the case in ours, okay? We are going back to first century Rome. And I'm going to tell you something. We don't want to be there, but that's where we're going. You think it's bad now. First century Rome was a disaster, morally speaking. When you go back to first century Rome, many, most in the culture, considered homosexuality to be normal. Did you know that? They considered it to be normal. They considered it to be very natural. Some people think that this is a new thing, that we, we, we're evolving towards acceptance of homosexuality. No, we're not. We're going back to paganism in first century Rome, to those who rejected the God of the Bible, and God gave them over to their degrading, sinful hearts to follow after their dishonorable passions. That's what we're doing. This is not new, beloved. 2,000 years ago, that's where Rome was. They endorsed homosexuality. One commentator notes that 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. Hello. The emperor is the guy that had total authority over Rome, the reigning and ruling empire of the world. 14 of the 15 were practicing, open practicing homosexuals. But listen to me. And the reason I'm 
This is what's happened with this debate, okay? It, it used to be Christian, Christians understood this. But now we are at a place where now even that's being questioned within the ranks of Christianity. I am, I'm just blown away. And then you have this other side, right? The other group with all of their really, truly hateful speech about some of the things they have said about homosexuals. Really vile stuff they've said, okay? Because homosexuality is a sin, but so is lying. So is gossip. So is stealing, right? But some of these in other groups have elevated homosexuality like the sin and attacked and said some pretty awful and vile things. So the church then backs up and says, well, maybe we shouldn't say anything about homosexuality because then they lump us together with those idiots. But here we are now, not saying anything. Now the Christian church, some of the Christian church are saying, well, maybe it is okay. Maybe it is okay. So now here we go again, coming back to the scriptures. Listen to me. Even if the entire world embraces it, even if every single one of the 50 United States says, oh yeah, we think they should be able to get married. We, we think that's right. We don't think there should be any discrimination against those who are of, of the same sex orientation. We don't think so, right? It cannot make it something it isn't. It doesn't matter if the world embraces it. It doesn't matter if our president embraces it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the Congress embraces it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they make laws that embrace it. Rome embraced it. The emperors were homosexual. And Paul is speaking clearly against the practice and calling it what it is. Sin. It doesn't matter. It is neither good or normal or acceptable to God. It is sin. It is sin. It is rebellion against God and his purposes for making humanity, for making men and women the way that he did. And God opposes it just like he does every other sin that I just mentioned. Envy, lying, greed, lust. He opposes homosexuality just like he opposes all those. Beloved, to be accepting, here it is, okay? To be accepting of homosexuality is to reject the Bible. It's to reject the Bible. You don't get to take the parts of the Bible you want and chop it up and throw out the ones you don't want. You understand? All 66 books are inspired by God. All of them are God-breathed. To reject any part of it is to reject the God who inspired it, who authored it through his human authors, through the Holy Spirit. And I would add this, that if your God, and I already said this, if your God or anybody else's God embraces homosexuality, then just simply know this, they worship an idol. They are idolaters. They're idolaters. But guess what? I mentioned in my introduction, you may remember, that some who claim to be Christians or followers of the Bible, they actually support and approve of uh, homosexuality. And they say that the Bible does not condemn it. This is for real, guys. This is what you'll come up against as a Christian. You'll come up against other groups who say they're Christian, and yet 
they are open to, listen, I want to be clear about what I'm saying. I want, homos, I want homosexuals to come in here. And I want them to be here. Because I want to preach the gospel to them. So we're open to them. Because I also want liars and thieves and all the other messed up people like we all are. I want them to all come in and be here. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say there's groups who are open to, no, they want them to come in and they embrace their homosexuality and they say you can practice homosexuality freely, without shame, willfully, and still be a Christian. That's different. If I had an adulterer come in here, I would tell them that their adultery is wrong. Not because I said so, I'm no authority, but because the word of God says so. God is the one who makes the rules in his world. It's wrong. By the way, it's bad for you. It's bad. It's going to ruin you. So I would compel them to repent and turn from their adultery, right? But what if they came in and said, oh, no, no. God has made me to be an adulterer, and that is what I'm going to do. And then I said to you, for now on, we are going to embrace adulterers. We are going to say it is okay to continue in adultery and be a Christian. And whatever the Bible says on it, we'll just rework it so it doesn't really say that. What if I said that to you? Would you allow me to stand here? I hope not. I hope not. I really do. I hope a few of you who knew the word of God would lovingly (laughs) remove me. So what do these so-called Christian people do with this very clear section of Romans? And by the way, this is one of the the biggest... There are multiple areas in the scriptures that talk about homosexuality, but this one is the absolute most difficult for those who want to adopt that sin. It's the most difficult for them to deal with. That is if they want to try to claim to be Christians and say that they believe the Bible. Well, here it is. When people are desperate, you know what they do? Desperate things. They do desperate things, which is evident in the links that some will go to pervert or twist the scriptures so that they will align with their ungodly lifestyles. The main argument, you're gonna, you got to hear this, the main argument by the pro-homosexual crowd against the traditional and plain understanding of Romans 1. I'm not giving you something that hasn't been spoken already a million times every time another person has come to Romans 1 and interpreted this. I'm telling you the same thing that they've said. That is, this has been the traditional and plain understanding of Romans 1. Okay, so what do they do with it? This is what they say. Are you ready? What Paul is speaking about when he says that women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women to do disgraceful and indecent acts with men. This is what he's talking about. It is the fact that Paul is actually describing heterosexuals. What's a heterosexual? That's someone who has a desire for the opposite sex. I'm a heterosexual. He's describing heterosexuals who went against their own sexual nature. That is what is natural for them. And did what was unnatural for them by engaging in homosexual behavior or acts. In other words, 
it is okay if you are naturally homosexual to have physical relations with another homosexual, woman with woman, man with man. But it is wrong for a heterosexual to have sexual relations with the same sex because it is unnatural to them. And that is what Paul was actually talking about in Romans 1. You don't believe me? I'm sure you believe me. You believe your pastor, right? Thank you. Thank you, senior. Maybe you don't know this man's name. His name is John Boswell. I could have quoted many. His name is John Boswell. He was a practicing Catholic. He died in 1994 from AIDS-related complications. He was a well-known historian and professor at Yale University. Any of you know the name Yale? Yale, pretty big school, right? Academia, way up there. You go to Yale, you better be smart, right? Well, he was a professor at Yale University, and he helped organize and establish the Lesbian and Gay Studies Center at Yale. Remember, he's a practicing, was a practicing Catholic. He wrote a lot about Christianity and homosexuality, and in his book titled Christianity, Social Tolerance, and Homosexuality, he said this concerning Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. Here's what he said. The persons Paul condemns are manifestly not homosexual. What he derogates, that's just a word that means criticizes severely. What he criticizes severely are homosexual acts committed by apparently heterosexual people. There you go. I just dismiss Romans 1. It, doesn't, it has nothing to do. God, Paul is not talking about just homosexual acts. He's, he's not saying that it's unnatural for, a, for a, a person to have sex with the same sex. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's unnatural for a person who's a heterosexual, because that's natural to them, to do something that is unnatural to their sexuality and go after a a homos- or do a homosexual act. That's what they say. That's what they say. Now, I've got to tell you something. If these people are engaged in homosexual acts, they're not heterosexual. I'm sorry. Maybe bisexual, maybe something weird else is going on. But a heterosexual man or woman does not engage in homosexual acts. They don't. They don't. Unless something else is going on. Beloved, that interpretation of Romans 1, 26 and 27 is absolutely absurd. It is absurd. Any, any unbiased person, any thinking person, you don't even have to be brilliant. You don't have to be a person, scholar from Yale or professor from Yale. Just a simple... Joe, can clearly go to Romans 1, like many men and women have been doing for all these centuries, and see that that interpretation is absolutely ridiculous. And this is what happens, right? Whenever someone doesn't like something that the Bible says, what do they tell you? Oh, that's your interpretation. That's your interpretation. You know, you're interpreting the Bible your way. I'll interpret the Bible my way. Beloved, there are portions of the scripture that I will admit to you that are difficult to understand, okay? 
There are. But there are many others that are very, very clear. Very clear. You don't have to go to seminary to understand them. You don't even have to know the Greek and the Hebrew to understand them. You don't have to be a professor. You don't have to have an IQ. God wrote his word for his people. He wanted them to know the truth. It is a common practice for people to come to the Bible with a personal agenda, okay? Very common with their own set of beliefs or feelings that have not been informed by the word of God but rather by their own depraved hearts, their own sinful hearts. It's very common, beloved. And when they come to the Bible and they see that it clearly opposes their agenda or challenges their beliefs or feelings, they sadly either reject it outright. Okay, That's been the traditional method. They just reject it. So that made it clear for us. You don't like the Bible because you don't like what it says. And you say fooey with the Bible that clearly puts you over here in this category and we're over here with those who embrace the Bible because we embrace our God and our God has wrote the Bible so it's very clear lines of of separation right but there's a group now that comes wants to come over here with us and go no 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 we accept the Bible but we accept all these other things that God calls sin so we we won't, we won't reject the Bible. We'll accept it, but we'll just change what it says. We will reinterpret the clear interpretation of the Scriptures. We'll give you our own. So that our troubled consciences will be soothed. But what, what we should all do, because we all are guilty of that from time to time, okay? What we should all do when the Bible clearly contradicts what we believe or think is what? Repent. That's what we should do. I come to the word of God. I come under it. And when it says something, contradicts something that I believe or I think or I feel in my heart, it doesn't matter when it does that. The right response for me is not to try to work my way out of it, to ignore it, to twist the scriptures, to make them say what I want them to say, but to repent and to believe the truth of God's word. That is what we are to do. That should be what characterizes a Christian. So I'll give you an example. Christian comes into the church. Maybe someone comes into the church. They get saved. But where they grew up, homosexuality was acceptable. They have a homosexual dad or brother or sister or whatever. So they don't see any problem with it. Then they get saved. Then they come to the word of God and they go, wait a minute. It says this. The Christian will, through a process, put himself under that word. And he'll say, I have to now change my mind, my position, my feelings, my beliefs, my convictions. I have to change them to align with the word of God. That's what Christians do. We spend our lives, right? Our lives realigning ourselves under the word of God. It's the reason we're called Summit Bible Church. Because the Bible is the authority here for you and for me. So we come under the word of God. It's the reason we spend so much time in this book. Because the Bible is the word of God. It is the authority. And we are to come under it. Submit ourselves to it. Our minds, our hearts, our feelings. Our depraved hearts. We must submit it to the pure 
an adulterated word of God. Okay? As I said before, I didn't say it. The word of God says it. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's what it's for. I don't want to end our time this morning without saying just a few additional things. I believe, I know, that more than a few of us in this congregation have family or friends who are practicing homosexuals. That's just, that's reality. It's going to become more and more a reality as our world continues to go down the toilet in regard to its morality. The most loving thing you could do for them is not to be accepting of their sin. Did I say reject them as a human being? Did I say reject them as your brother or your sister or as your child or as your mom or as your dad? Did I say any of that? I didn't say any of that. Did I say to consider them to be less of a human than you are? No, that would be wrong. Did I say they were monsters? No, that would be wrong to think that. They are not. They are sinners, and their sin that they're giving themselves to happens to be homosexuality in this case. The most loving thing you could do for them is not to say, it's okay, it's cool, I'm all right with it. That's not loving. If my kid was hooked on dope, would you think I was a loving father to say, listen, lots of kids do dope nowadays. It's just the cultural norm. It's all good. What would you think of me as a dad? Huh? What would you think of me? If my wife was hooked on narcotics, pain pills, would you think I was loving if I said, hey, it's all right, it's all good, she's happy when she's on them, so... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yet, I know, I know. I, I, I know what pain pills, being hooked on pain pills does to somebody. It eventually kills them. The most loving thing you could do for them is not to be accepting of their sin, but to lovingly and continually share the gospel with them, beloved, and keep praying that they might repent. That's the most loving thing you could do for them. Keep sharing the gospel if they'll give you an ear and keep praying that God would grant them repentance, that he would open their eyes so that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I finished with this verse last week. I'll do it again. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul says that it couldn't be more clear. Do not be deceived. Don't be tricked. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people who willfully give themselves to this. I'm not talking about Christians who may struggle in these areas. 
I'm not, he's not talking about that. Paul is talking about people that can be identified like this because that is who they are. They are drunkards. They are homosexuals. They unashamedly give themselves to that sin. Those people, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are not going to heaven. They are not. They cannot. Why? Because the only way someone goes to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when someone actually places their faith in Jesus Christ, a change takes place. A transformation begins. And that transformation manifests itself in a changed life. So a Christian can no longer continue without any breaks. They cannot continue to be sexually immoral. Does that mean that they won't fail in this area? No. But they cannot continue unrepentantly to be sexually immoral. They can't. The Spirit of God lives in them. They'll be ripped apart from the inside out as Christians. They can't. God will discipline them. He'll do whatever it takes to bring them back to their senses if they are His. They cannot continue in adultery. They cannot continue to practice homosexuality. They cannot continue in a life of thievery. They cannot. And so when people do that, it is evidence that they have never truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say in verse 11, And such were, past tense, some of you. Some of you were this. Some of you could be identified as these things. But you know what? You were washed. You were sanctified. That means set apart by God. You were justified. How? In the name, in the authority, in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How did that happen? When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the second that happened, you were washed, sanctified, justified, made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He began to do a work on you. You see? There's hope. There's hope for the homosexual. There's hope for the thief. There's hope for the adulterer. There's hope for the sexually immoral. There's hope. But that hope isn't some general hope out there somewhere. That hope is Jesus Christ. That hope is a person. That hope is the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we deal with some heavy stuff, Lord, I pray that you would uh, work in the hearts of your people, Father. Father, I, I, I see already and I, I believe that it's going to increase just the, the hate now, the hate that is coming against Christians. The intolerance. <laughs> That's what makes us so crazy. Those who keep screaming we should be tolerant are so intolerant of us who simply just want to come under you, who are looking to obey you. We're not trying to call homosexuals out. We're not trying to highlight their sin over everyone else's sin. And and Father, I pray for those who have done that, they would repent of such things. That's not what we're doing. We're simply saying we're calling black, black and white, white. We're saying sin is sin because you have called it sin. And we know that's loving to do. That's not hateful. That's not intolerant. 
It's loving to tell people, to warn people about sin because sin will destroy them. Father, you know that. You gave your son. You gave your very son to rescue us from sin. Father, I do pray you'll make us brave and courageous. Lovingly brave and courageous. That we, we can live in this society that is becoming more and more immoral as each day passes. And not be taken by it. Not be overcome by it. But Father, that we would overcome That we would be the light that this dark world desperately needs. That we would speak the truth in love. That we would be the ones to share the gospel. The good news concerning your son Jesus Christ. And the truth that he is able to rescue sinners. Not only from the condemnation that they are due. But from the very power of sin that overwhelms them in their life. It is Jesus Christ that can rescue the homosexual. It is Jesus Christ that can rescue the sexually immoral. The adulterer. The thief. The liar. It is Jesus Christ. So Father may we rest on Jesus Christ in our own lives as we sometimes struggle with our own sin. May we rest in Him, but may we also proclaim Him to a world that is absolutely clueless and is looking in all the wrong places for a fix to their problem. Father, may we show them In love, may we take them by the hand and lead them to your word. And as we open that word, may we share with them the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and coming King. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.